Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When the Lord Jesus came to conduct his ministry in Israel, the people rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They rejected him as their king. Not all the people, but the majority of the people, definitely those who were in positions of authority, those who were the religious leaders and the political leaders, some of the people who they represented certainly accepted Jesus, but the majority of the people rejected him. And the reason why was because he was not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a different kind of Messiah. And the main reason why they wanted a different kind of Messiah was because they believed that they had finally found a way to live in obedience to all of the laws that God gave them through Moses. It was at this time in history that the people started to develop a high degree of confidence that they had found a way of life, a lifestyle that they could live to ensure that they would never come within the boundaries of possibly violating any of the laws of Moses. And so because of their success, because of their perceived success, they certainly did not succeed, but they thought they did. But because of this, they did not believe that they had any need for forgiveness. They did not believe that there was anything between them and their God. They believed that they had finally reached a situation. They had finally reached a status such that all God had to do now was just bless them, reward them for all of their success. When the Lord Jesus came, he came to a people who believed that they were sinless. And yet what Jesus came to provide was forgiveness for their sins. So this was the situation. How is it that Jesus is going to explain to the people that he came to offer them forgiveness and that they have a need for it when the people, for the most part, the religious people, believe that they had finally achieved success in being obedient to all of the commandments of God? How would Jesus deal with this situation? Well, he dealt with it by explaining the law to its fullest extent. He explained the law, and the majority of his ministry was actually spent explaining the law and teaching people the law so that they would finally see that there was no way that they would possibly be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. He showed them that they would have to be as perfect as God, that they could certainly start with the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, but they had to exceed that, otherwise there was no way that they would possibly enter into the kingdom of heaven. He explained this during his Sermon on the Mount and throughout his entire ministry. He explained this directly. He explained this through parables. He explained that there was no way that anyone was ever going to make it into heaven by their repentance and obedience. And he did that so that the people would finally be in a situation where they would see that they were totally hopeless. They were totally helpless. And through seeing their total 
hopelessness, they could then be the recipients of God's mercy. They would see that they had a need for mercy. Only then could they receive his mercy. Otherwise, there was no need for his mercy. There was no need for his forgiveness. So the people were expecting that the Messiah would come and establish the kingdom there in Israel. They believed that the Messiah would do that because they believed that they had finally found a way to obey all of God's commandments. When the people finally believed that they had achieved this, the Lord came personally and explained to them that they had not, that they failed, that they had not achieved that, and that they did have a need for forgiveness. Now, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he died on the cross, and he did this in order to provide for the forgiveness of sins. But again, the people had no need for that. They did not expect him to do that. When he did that, it still had no meaning to them at all. And then he rose from the dead, and he said that he was going to come back, and he will come back. He will return at the appointed time. But what are the people going to think when he returns? What are they going to think about him? How are they going to see him? Well, it's been a long time, and many generations have passed, but people have not forgotten what he said. People have not forgotten what he did. Generations may have passed, but his word has remained, and the day will come when he will return. But what are they going to think when he returns? They are going to be disappointed. That's what they're going to think. That's what's going to happen. They're going to be very disappointed because what they believed about him was definitely wrong. And when he returns, there is going to be no argument concerning that anymore. There will no longer be an opportunity for discussion or debate. He will arrive, he will be the king, and he will assert his authority. In Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, it is written, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. And he continues to explain that there will be a significant amount of mourning there in Israel. There will be a significant amount of mourning because the one who is coming is one who they do not expect. He will pour out the spirit of grace. But how will that be received by the people, the people who do not want his grace? He comes to bring his mercy graciously, and the people don't want it. They want nothing to do with it because they don't believe that they have a need for it. For them to acknowledge that they would have a need for his gracious mercy, for a person to acknowledge their need and to receive that would be to admit failure. And people do not want to admit failure. They do not want to admit that they have sinned that needs to be forgiven. But that is what he came to accomplish. He came to provide forgiveness for the sin. He came to provide a number of other things as well, salvation especially, the restoration of the Holy Spirit. But in the context of this prophecy, what I want you to understand is that the people rejected Jesus when he came because he was not the kind of Messiah, he was not the kind of king that they wanted. And when he returns... Even though generations will have passed, 
he will still return to a people who do not want him to be their king. So I personally believe that this prophecy is further evidence to show that Jesus is the Messiah. He has to be the Messiah because he is the only one who they are not expecting and who they will mourn over when he arrives. And he is the only one who provides the spirit of grace. The Lord Jesus came to die for the forgiveness of sins, and he accomplished that for the entire world. And he did that for the purpose of being able to restore to humanity the free gift of the Holy Spirit. He has offered everyone in the world the free gift of his spirit that will resurrect them from the dead if a person will only receive that free gift. Then they will be saved. But everyone has effectively been forgiven. It's just that the whole world has not been saved because the whole world has not received the Holy Spirit, the free gift of this life that will remain within them eternally. The people believed that they had succeeded in their pursuit of holiness, that they had finally achieved holiness, that they had repented and they were obedient. They were enjoying the law in this respect, and they were enjoying their lifestyle that they had established. They were unwilling to let it go. Why? Because they believed that God would bless them for their obedience. They believed that he would reward them. Why? Because he promised that. He told them in the law that if they obeyed all of the commandments, then he would bless them. Now, of course, they failed, and so he didn't bless them, although they believed that they had succeeded, and so they were waiting for his blessings. But their failure was critical to understand because if they were unwilling to understand their failure, then there would be no way for them to understand what our God was going to do in response to their failure. And what he said that he was going to do was that he was going to establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. Now, the old covenant would still remain in effect because its purpose was to drive a person to the point of recognizing their failure. And we can use it today for that purpose. We can use the Old Covenant in order to drive a person to the point of realizing that there is no way that they can be like God. And I use that on occasion. Whenever I encounter people who really want to be obedient to God, I show them, okay, here, here you go. Give it your best effort. Give it your best shot. Or when I encounter people who believe that they have no sin in their life, then I show them the law and I say, hey, you know what? There's this law that says do not covet. How are you doing with your coveting? Have you been coveting? And they say, no, I haven't been coveting. And I say, that's fine. Let me check back with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And I will remind you over and over about this commandment that says do not covet. And eventually, eventually it is going to stir up within you covetous desires. You will find yourself having an increase of sin in your life. Because of the commandments, because I remind you of the commandments, because I tell you about the commandments, it will give you more sin. This might sound a little odd to you, but many people believe that the law was given by our God for the purpose of reducing sin in people's lives. But no, it was given in order to increase the amount of sin in people's lives. It was given for many other reasons as well. But in this context, I would like you to understand that the reason why God gave a new covenant was because we would have a need for a new covenant. Not because there was something wrong with the old covenant, no, but because there is something wrong with us 
and the old covenant did not address the issues that really exist between us and our God. The old covenant only shows us that those issues exist. And the issues have to do with the fact that we are not God, we cannot be like God, that no matter how much we know about what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong, it still will make no difference at all in our lives. That through the knowledge of good and evil, we cannot be good people. We cannot be good Christians. We cannot be like Jesus, and we definitely cannot be like God. The Lord our God provided the new covenant, and he prophesied this new covenant. He explained when this new covenant would go in effect. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31, it says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This is why he would remember our sins no more. He came to provide forgiveness through his death on the cross, so that he would remember our sins no more. Who sins? Anybody sins. The entire sin issue between him and humanity came to an end. When he died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the world. Again, he died for the sins of the world. And the world includes the world and everyone in the world. All sin, past, present, future. The entire issue of sin is over. It has been over for a long time. He did this for a reason, and that was so that he could invoke, he could instantiate, he could establish the new covenant. And the new covenant is not like the old. It's not like it. And so if you think that the new covenant is like the old, then what you think the new covenant is, is not the new covenant. That's not it. You're wrong. It's something entirely different. And we can be thankful for that because the old covenant had a purpose. And if the new covenant accomplishes the same purpose, then it is of no use. It is of no value. Now, the new covenant goes into effect because of forgiveness. But until a person rests in the forgiveness that they have, there is no way to enter into the new covenant. There is no way for a person to know, to experience, to live in the new covenant until they step aside from this issue of sin, until they let go of the sin issue, until they truly rest in the fact that our God no longer holds our sins against us. Until that happens, there is no way to walk in the new covenant. But here's the problem. When a person first gets saved, what normally happens is is that a person is told that now that they have been saved, now that they have been forgiven, 
Now they need to live a life of holiness. Now they need to live a life of obedience. Obedience to what? How would they know if they were being holy? Well, you look at the law, and you live according to the law. This is what people believe, and this is what people teach. And unfortunately, this keeps them from entering into the new covenant because they will attempt to obey, and then they will fail. And then what do they need? They need forgiveness. And so what do they do? They obtain forgiveness through whatever means they think they can get it. They apologize, they give money, they do whatever. They do all kinds of things that are completely outside of the crucifixion, of course, which is the only way that a person can be forgiven. But people just don't really believe that. They find some way of asking God for forgiveness or doing something to feel as though God will honor that and forgive the sins that they have committed. And then what do they do? They try again. They go back to a form of law, a law of some kind. They repent and they go back to the law and they live a life of holiness or obedience until they realize that they cannot. And so what do they do? They seek forgiveness again. They never make it past forgiveness. But until you do, you cannot walk in the newness of life. The cross is not only the division of human history, it is also the division of your own personal history, your own life, your life before your God. But this is a serious problem, is that people continue to try to live a life of holiness through their repentance and obedience. But what happens if they succeed? And what would that look like if they did succeed? I can tell you exactly what that would look like. It would look very similar to the life of a Pharisee. The life of a Pharisee was devoted to obedience to the commandments. And what people have done in the Christian world is they have constructed their own religious lifestyle. They have created their own set of principles to live by. They have created their own standards for how they live or how they do not live. They have their own fence laws, as they call them on occasion. They have their own lifestyle choices that they make in order to do what? In order to ensure that they never come within the boundaries of violating the actual laws of Moses. The Christians do that today. They just simply are not as sincere. They are not as devoted as the Pharisees were. They need to try harder. That's the problem, is that people have provided People have provided churches, people have provided atmospheres and environments where people do not have to try to do it all. They can just do some. That's what people are doing. And through that, they have been able to collect a group of people around themselves where they say, don't worry, just do these things. Just do these things and you'll be fine. And if you think you need to do more, don't worry, there's somebody else down the street who will tell you to do more things. Or if you think we're telling you to do too much, don't worry, there's another person down the street who is also telling you to do less things. But either way, that's how people begin to assemble. That's how people begin to congregate. And that is the Christian life for many people. It is the lifestyle. It is the set of rules and regulations, all of which are, to me, pharisaical light. These lifestyles are the same thing. They're just not as sincere as the Pharisees were. A person must come to acknowledge. You must come to the point of recognizing that you truly are hopeless and helpless, that there is no way that you will ever be obedient enough, that there is no way that you will ever be holy enough so that you can turn to your God for who he is to you and for what he truly has to offer you, and that is his mercy 
And once you receive his mercy, then you step out, outside of this life of repentance, obedience, failure, sin, forgiveness, repentance, obedience, failure, sin, forgiveness. People wind up wandering around in this wilderness of religion, never coming to the end, never coming to the point where they can actually rest in what God has already done for them. You must rest in what he has done for you. You must rest in what he has given to you. But people won't do that. They live believing that God is fully disgusted with them because technically he is. In their mind, he is because they believe that he holds their sins against them. People believe that he is disgusted, so they try to obey They try to obey and they fail to obey. And so they seek for his forgiveness and then they repent and then they try to obey and then they fail and then they seek for his forgiveness. This is wandering around in the wilderness. I call this taking another lap where you start by saying, okay, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. And then you repent and you obey and you try. You try again only to fail and then You complete your lap by asking for forgiveness again. And people are just taking these laps. They're taking these laps in their life, going around and round and round and round, and never coming to a point of peace, never coming to a point of rest. And until you do, there is no end to this. There is no end. You must recognize that when he said it was finished, it was finished. And rest in that truth. Only then can you begin to walk in the new covenant. You have to get off the track. You have to get out of the wilderness. Only then can you walk in the newness of life that he has actually called you to. Why do people do this? I mean, what is the incentive? Well, there's lots of incentives. People talk about lots of incentives, but they always come down to one of two things. It's either the blessings or it's the beatings. These are the two incentives that people give. The blessings in the sense that he will bless you And how will he bless you? Will you go into the law and you see that he will bless you with plenty of flour in your kneading bowl. You will lend and not borrow. Your children will not be consumed by wild animals. Look, I can appreciate these things, but for him to say that he will intervene in your life and bless you because of your obedience to all of his commandments, this will never happen. It will never happen because you will never obey all of them. So what is the other incentive? The other incentive is he'll beat you. If you don't get it right, he's going to beat you until you do. He will curse you until you get it right. So people are inspired. People feel as though they have a reason to go on. But what is their reason inherently? It has to do with their flesh. All of the blessings that God offered through the law had to do with a person's flesh. And all the beatings that people are trying to avoid have to do with a person's flesh. And so let me summarize this in a very simple way. And that is the reason why people continue to wander around in the wilderness in this religious experience that they are having is because they want to indulge their flesh. Obviously not in the context of sinning to indulge their flesh, no. But they want to indulge their flesh with the blessings from God for their flesh. That's the motivation that people are driven by. But he does not want us to live that way. He wants us to live a different way. And this other way has to do with the inheritance 
that he has given to us. The inheritance that he has offered to us that is described in the will of God. The will of God is a description of an inheritance that he has given to us as a result of his death. And this inheritance is, of course, his forgiveness. It is his love. It is his acceptance. This is what he has called us to. He has not called us to a life of obedience to the law. He has called us to another type of obedience. And this obedience has to do with the fact that you must believe him. Obey him by believing him. Do not try to obey him in your flesh. Obey him in your heart by believing the truth that he has revealed and respond to that truth that he has revealed. This is the obedience to faith. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. He's talking about obedience to something else besides the law. And this obedience has to do with believing in what he has said, believing in what he has done, and living your life on the basis of that fundamental truth. You must respond to the truth. And it is only when you respond to this truth, it is only then that you will begin to see and live in the new covenant that he has established, that has been established ever since he died and rose from the dead. The living God gave Adam and Eve everything that they needed for life and godliness. But they refused to believe God. They refused to trust him and decided that they wanted to live a life according to what was good and evil. You must turn away from a life that is based on the knowledge of good and evil and instead turn back to him and trust him that that is not how he created you to live and receive what he has given to you. He has given to you everything that you need for life and godliness. Respond to that truth and that is your obedience to faith. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net